Welcome to the Middle Church Podcast, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational movement of spirit and justice, powered by revolutionary love with room for everyone. No matter where you are, how you look, or who you love, we pray this podcast will help you on your journey. Here's this week's sermon. This is an evocative text. Lots of powerful, beautiful, even troublesome images in the text. The first strophe of the poem, if you will, uh, we're led into uh, about after an analysis of how the people have been experiencing a sense of dark time, a sense of war time, a sense of trauma time. And then Isaiah says, that's about to come to an end. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. So that first trophy in the poem is about darkness. Though black is fully beautiful, and darkness is a place of growth, soil, and the womb. Okay, just get that out. In the ancient days, this dark light dichotomy would have been something that folks were understanding. And communication is about understanding. They had not yet gone through Afro sheen, and black is beautiful. <laughs> Ungawa and picks with this. Okay, back back to this. <laughs> so, this darkness in Isaiah's context is a metaphor for death and despair, and he's contrasting that with light, which is a metaphor for life and joy. We used to be in the darkness, and now we're in the light. Beautiful imagery about that. Then there's this language of celebration, right? This, like at the end of a harvest, like, like when you got some good food, like when the corn did not burn up. Or, again, Isaiah's context, when you won a war and you capture the people and take their gold and silver. Or you're liberated from Egypt and God tells you, <laughs> you think, to take their gold and silver. You're like, we got the gold, we got the silver. Okay, so there's a sense of joy and exultation as though after a harvest or after, I don't know, winning the lottery, right? Then the, Isaiah picks up these images of the harsh instruments of war and oppression, right? That there clearly are weapons and there are clearly bloody uniforms, which means there's been some fighting, and I'm not talking about Taekwondo or something, right? But those military boots and bloody uniforms are burned and destroyed. So the scene of war turns into a scene of perpetual peace. Swords into plowshares, all the stuff of war burned up. We can't study war no more, is what the text is saying, right? Then, the next imagery in this beautiful poem is that there is a messenger from the royal palace with good news that a crown prince has been born. The birth announcement is the central theme of the poem. Not the war peace, not the joy at the harvest, but this birth story. There is about to be a particular baby born in a particular time who is going to bring about a reign of peace. Now what happens, what had happened was when you went to seminary or cemetery, you lose your childhood understanding of what these texts mean, right? All the way through my life until I was 30 and went to Princeton, clearly this is about Jesus. 
clearly. It's about Jesus. Except it's not. It's actually really about a crown prince being born in the royal family, an announcement that this baby's gonna come and this baby is going to be a just ruler. Some people think it's Hezekiah who did a reform. Most people don't. But somewhere in the eighth century, somewhere between 732 and 767, I'm trying to impress you now with my exegetical <laughs> skills. <clears throat> somewhere in there, somewhere in that time frame, an actual prince born, not a princess, can't be inclusive, but an actual boy child born who would be sitting on the throne of David and would fulfill God's promise to Israel that their fortunes would be restored, that their livelihood would be restored, that their place among the nations would be restored. This is a sign of God's saving grace on behalf of God's people. Are you with me? Then the, the, the next um, strophe of the poem turns to the future, turns into the throne room of the baby-turned-king, the baby who had particular names. A child is born. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Like all these ancient nations, Egypt, you know, you get crowned a king and your name is like Metaphasa, Mafusa, Padusa, you know, like lots of names. This, these names are the Hebrew names for this prince. And he grows to be a king, and his reign is wonderful and full of peace, and there is a righteousness. He is going to inaugurate the reign of peace, and this fulfills the will of God forever. I don't love that as much as this is Jesus, to be honest, but it's not. Not yet. <laughs> so these images, this evocative poetry, one commentator says, do these images have power? We know that images can change moods, change feelings, and that alone isn't powerful, but good news is communicated. Twitter, X, Facebook, threads, right? Good news is communicated. It's not just what is said, it's how it's said. And by establishing this mood of celebration, these images the writer, Isaiah, thinks can change people's hearts and minds. Okay? It would be naive to think the images alone can do it, the writer says. But in times of war, in times of oppression, in times of injustice, in times of violence, these images are meant to cause a different kind of reaction. They're meant to give hope. They're meant to remind us that God is still God and God can do better. Not by God's self. Deliberation, planning, hard work, community organizing, marching, closing down bridges, getting arrested, you know, all the things we do to emphasize the story of peace, but this text is meant to fuel the imagination. Now, when you're writing a sermon, it shows itself to you, and what showed itself to me in this text is the importance of the story of the baby and the importance of the tense. For unto us a child has been born. For unto us a son has been given. It already happened. It happened in the past. What Isaiah is writing is a reminder, a call to remember, 
that God made a promise and said God was going to do a thing and then did the thing. The thing has already happened. The joy that's expressed at the top of the text when the people have walked in darkness and see a great light and their exultation is strong and their joy is profound, the joy is profound because they remember that God is a promise-keeping God. And they remember there's something profound about a God who will enter into human history in the messy times and show up with a deliverer. This particular deliverer is a rich prince who's going to rule on the throne of David. The deliverer we're thinking about today is another kind of baby. A baby born in empire, but not to the emperor. A baby born in a time of powerful Roman um, conquering and world-altering change, but born on the margins. A baby not born inside, a baby homeless, a baby drinking from his mother's milk in the place where the cows eat. But a baby nonetheless. God's intervention in the hot mess time where the Davidic king was required came in the form of vulnerable baby flesh. Yes, he had the best gap clothing. Yes, he had crate and barrel crib. Yes, he had soft blankets knitted by special people. But he was a baby, vulnerable, couldn't do nothing for himself, could not do anything to alter life circumstances, but God came to alter the life circumstances in a baby. And then, as you write your way to your sermon, I'm thinking about all the ways God did the interventions in the babies. Sadly, we don't know enough about the female babies. Somebody say amen. Because nobody was writing that stuff. But Shipper and Pure were babies. And they saved a whole bunch of babies. Mary was a baby and she had the baby, right? Sarah was a baby and she had John. Mary was a baby, but then she grew up to have Jesus. I mean, these babies change the world. Moses, actually the baby born to Hebrew poor people, but raised in the Pharaoh's palace. A border crossing baby used to heal the world. What's with God? and this crown prince, and Moses, and John the Baptist, and Mary and Sarah, and, of course, Jesus, a baby. Why? Why is God so weird as to intervene in human history with some baby who can't, you know, pooping and crying and can't talk? Why? Why does God enter into human history, God who is God and can do anything, why does God enter into human history in this vulnerable way, in this vulnerable place, in this helpless place, in this needy place, in this throw up when you're lactose intolerant place, in this toddle and found, fall down and get back up place, in this learn to suckle 
your own thumb and comfort yourself place in this blanket touching your cheek place. Why does God come to the hold your finger place, to the pull your beard place, to wrap your hands in your hair place? Why does God come into our story? As a you make the face at me, an imprint on me, and I make a face at you, an imprint on you, and I know that I am loved. Why? Because we all were babies, and we all understand what the babies need, what they're like. In other words, it's a ubiquitous scene that God creates. It's a, I'm not the writer, but it's the trope. We get it. We understand this narrative. We are pulled into these baby stories. And when we get there, we understand what's happening. It does something to us. It's causative to us. It's transformative to us. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Nothing has broken out of my uterus. But I have grandchildren who scream my name when I pick up the phone. Nana! As though it has lots of syllables. There, run through the house, tussle each other, take the blue cushions off our couch and put them on the floor and jump on the cushions and say they're swimming in the ocean like Moana. Their joy, their joy is contagious. Teach your children well. Careful the things you say, children will listen. I believe the children are our future, or and children are our present, teaching us how not to die in this death-dealing season of drama and trauma and wars in too many theaters to count. The children have something to teach us about the children have something to teach us about how to live in the midst of death. Have you seen in your feed the Palestinian children sitting in a circle and the adults are juggling or they're singing or they're dancing? Have you seen in your feed, because the feeds are controlled by the algorithms who know what we want to see, but have you seen in your feed any little Jewish children still having Shabbat meal and love with their parents despite the war? Have you seen in your feeds those little children from Africa who dance their butts off without their shoes on and with clothes that look like they are six hand, not second? The joy in the children? The, the joy in the children despite the poverty? The joy in the children despite the parents? 
the joy in the children despite the war, despite the violence, the joy that the children know how to access that sustains them, they are our mentors. And maybe that's why God chooses the little place to come. So that we who are absolutely on our behinds with grief, distraught, despairing, angry, fighting about language because it's so hard to be human on the planet, resisting as best we can, but often succumbing to a feeling of, why, oh God, and where are you? This God, this weird God we love, enters into history, enters into our circumstances as a child, over and over again, because the children have something to give us that we won't get without them, and I think that's joy. How do we rebuild joy? Watch the babies, unless they're asleep, like this one. Watch the kiddos. Watch the playing with the skillet when there's nothing in it. Watch the joy of making Play-Doh uh, imprints. Watch the room, room, room of the boy with the truck. Watch the imagination of jumping on blue cushions in the living room floor. The children have joy, and we must curate our own joy to survive these times. How will we do that, Jackie? Remember, these stories happened in the past. Isaiah tells the story of a king born in the past. We celebrate this Christmas stuff every year, but it happened in the past. There's something about remembering, something about rehashing, something about rehearsing the stories, and I'm talking about the stories of the children now, that will remind us of our own childlike wonder and help us get saved from the despair. Amen. I have been told that I have irrepressible joy. I have been told that my joy can get on your nerves sometimes. <laughs> Wonder who's close enough to me to say some stuff like that. I refresh my joy with the children. The algorithm gives me what I need. <laughs> I need that baby saying to her father, you can't talk to me when I'm walking down the aisle, when I'm getting married. You can't talk to me. Everyone will be distracted. That little girl, I need, <laughs> I need those twin babies biting each other's faces. It's almost obscene, but there they are giving each other gum comfort on each other's noses. I need that. I need that little boy wrapped in a towel. And his mother says, what are you? And she, he says, I'm a burrito. And she pulls the towel. And he flips and turns and laughs like a crazy person. I need Ophelia. I got to go. I need Octavius. Can we go back to Ocean City? I need your children. I need the children to heal me. Don't you need the children to heal you? That's why God, heal a cray cray. But she comes to earth in babies. She uses the babies 
because they know how to get us, to get us to the joy we need to make it. Well, that's the sermon that, you know, came out of this crazy body this week. (laughs) I made it through the pain in the world this week because of the little ones. Zia, come Zia. Hi, baby. Hi. Can I touch you? She doesn't know me. You see what happens? Hi, Zia. Hi. Can you come Zia? big sister innocence trust amazing amazing joy amazing giggles yes yes because y'all got it going on right you don't need to know nobody to teach them how to have joy Every child, every child, every single child deserves that opportunity. Every single one, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. Give me the love. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. For all the babies. The crown prince long time ago promised to be a just ruler. The marginalized brown Palestinian Jewish one born to be a leader. Yes. 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 And for these two, and for Raja, and for all of the kiddos, we got to understand God's intervention and then what our job is. God's intervention and what our job is, right? Joy, 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 and get to work. Amen. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thanks for listening, friends. To learn more about Middle Church, visit middlechurch.org. You can help grow this movement of love and justice by rating us on Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend or two. Send us an email at info at middlechurch.org if you have any questions or comments. We hope you'll come back next week. Bye for now.